Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. In the dark shadows, in the white cold, fearlessly we search for knowledge new and old. We drink the strong spirits and read the ancient tomes. The order of the Abracast. We are the brave and the bold. This is John. This is the Abercast. I'm John. There. How's that? Um, we're continuing our talk and discussion through the book of Exodus this evening. If you remember where we left this last time, here. Here's a reminder. Uh, well, we left uh, the episode with something like uh, the last plague and the impending freedom or some, something like that. The uh, Israelites are... Uh, they've started their journey uh, out of Egypt and into the into the, the desert. And here, I'm just going to start here in my trusty international red letter. Here, um, Exodus 13, 17. And when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, Though that was shorter, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So this is, uh, this idea is something that we're going to see again, um, I believe, in the story where the heat, uh, they're worried God, uh, you know, the master, the Lord, <laughs> the God of the sky and the God of the mountain and the God of war. And the God of time, as we're going to also see, that he is concerned that given enough hardship, his people will turn back to, I, I, don't, I think safety is probably the wrong word, but they'll turn back to a familiar system. And I believe that this is going to be a theme here, um, at least until after Mount Sinai. So uh, back to it. So God led the people around the desert. Towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid. 
and then you must carry my bones up out of this place. After leaving Sucketh, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them in their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in the front of the people. So now we're going to go to Ginsburg's Legend of the Jews here. God, or Pharaoh, pursues the Hebrews. When, <clears throat> when Pharaoh permitted the Israel to depart, he was under the impression that they were going only for a three days journey into the wilderness for the purpose of altering Offering sacrifices when he sent officers with them whose duty it was to bring them back at the appointed time, the exodus took place on a Thursday. The following Sunday, the king's watchers noted that the Israelites, so far from preparing for a return, were making arrangements looking to a long sojourn in the desert. They remonstrated and urged them to go back, and the Israelis maintained the Israelites maintained that the pharaohs had dismissed them for good, but the officers would not be put off with their mere assertions. And they said, willy-nilly, you will have to do as the powers that be command. To such arrogance, the Israelites would not submit. And they fell upon the officers, slaying some of them and wounding the others. The maimed survivors went back to Egypt report the countenancy of the Israelites to Pharaoh. Meantime, Moses did not desire the departure of his people to have the appearance of flight before the Egyptians gave the signal to turn back to Pi-Haroth. Those of little faith among the Israelites tore their hair and their garments in desperation, though Moses assured them that by the word of God, they were free men, no longer slaves to Pharaoh. Accordingly, they retraced their steps to Pi Haharoth, where two rectangular rocks form an opening within which a great sanctuary of Baal Zephon was situated. The rocks are shaped like human beings, the one a man and the other a woman. And they were not chiseled by human hands, but by the Creator himself. The place had been called Pithom in earlier times, but later on the account of the idols set up there, it received the name of Hiharoth. Of set purpose, God had left Baal Zephon uninjured alone. Of all of the Egyptian idols, he wanted the Egyptian people to think that this idol was possessed of exceeding might, which it exercised to prevent uh, the Israelites from journeying on. To confirm them in their illusory belief, God caused wild beasts to obstruct the road to the wilderness. And they took it for granted that their idol Baal Zephon had ordained their appearance. Pi Haharoth was famous, besides, on the account of the treasures heaped there, the wealth of the world which Joseph had acquired through the sale of corn that he had stored during the seven years of plenty. He had divided it into three parts. The first part was surrender to Pharaoh. The second part was concealed in the wilderness where it was found by Korah, though it disappeared again not to come into view until Messianic times. Then it will be for the benefit of the pious. In the third part, Joseph hid in the sanctuary of Baal Zephon, whence the Hebrews carried it off as booty. So there's a couple things to say here. The Messianic times, they're not talking about the Messianic time of a Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? You know, this is from... Uh, Jewish perspective, so the Messianic times um, is are still to come, and the treasure that they're talking about that was collected for uh, the seven years of plenty um, was at the very end of Genesis. So, the the story of Joseph and how he kind of came to power in in Egypt. If you want to revisit that, hit the 
feature topic link on uh, Evercast.com, and you can find all those Genesis episodes there. Um, and just keep that. Uh, we're going to go back to some Genesis stories here, I think. <laughs> so just keep that in mind so I have to keep repeating. <laughs> when Emelak and the magicians brought the information to Pharaoh that the Israelites had resolved not to return to Egypt, his heart... And the heart of his whole people turned against them. The very counselors that had persuaded him to dismiss the children of Israel spake now as follows. If we had only smitten with the plague, if we had only been smitten with the plagues, we could have resigned ourselves to our fate. Or if, besides being smitten with the plagues, we had been compelled to let the Hebrews depart from the land, and that too we could have been born with patience. But to be smitten with the plagues, to be compelled to let our slaves depart from us, and to sit by and see them go off with our riches, that is more than we can endure. Now the children of Israel had gone from them. The Egyptians recognized how valuable an element that they had been to their country in general. The time of the exodus of Israel was disastrous for their former masters. In addition to losing their dominion over the Israelites, the Egyptians had to deal with mutinies that broke out among their other nations tributary to them, for hitherto Pharaoh had been the ruler of the whole world. The king resorted to blandishments and promises to induce the people to make war against the Israelites, saying, As a rule, the army marches forth first, and the king follows in security. But I will precede you. And as a rule, the king has the first choice of booty. <laughs> booty. And as much as he delivers, but I will take no more than any one of you, and on my return from the war I will divide my treasure of silver, gold, and precious stones among you. And in his zeal, Pharaoh did not wait to have his chariot made ready for him, for he did it with his own hands, and his nobles followed his example. So here we're going to, they just kind of slip it in here, and they don't talk, they don't really talk about it. But here we're going to have this idea, and I just kind of want to unpack it, kind of my understanding of how this works. He, the story here. They start talking about uh, Samuel, the uh, who, for all intents and purposes, we'll just say is an archangel, Sam, Samuel. And it, this story gets into this idea that Egypt has an angel and Israel has an angel. And my understanding or how I think about these kind of, these mythological parts of the story are, it's kind of like Jack Kirby's fourth world to me. So Jack Kirby's Fourth World is uh, is a series of comic books that he did in like the '60s, where it's this it's an overarching kind of like intergalactic war that's going on, and it's going on in like on like three levels. So it's like you have like Jimmy Olsen, <laughs> like the first level, the human level. So this would be you know the normal Hebrew fleeing uh, Egypt or the Egyptian soldier, you know, um, chasing after the, after the Hebrews, then maybe on the next level would be like Pharaoh and his magicians. And then on the opposite side would be like Moses and Aaron and you know, the, the rod. And then on the level above that would be like the level of angels. So it'd be like this Yuzo we're going to be talking about or Samuel and, uh, and, and Michael, and then on the level above that would be like God, you know, God. And uh, so the in the fourth world sort of analogy would be like Jimmy Olsen and then like Superman, I guess. or And then like the Forever People or Infinity Incorporated. And then the last tier uh, that would be would be um, uh, the new gods and uh, uh, Darkseid and Ap Apocalypse, right? So there, I probably, I might have taught you something that you might not, not have known. That, uh, you know, Darkseid was originally a Jimmy Olsen villain. <laughs> Alright, so back to it. Back to it. 
Samuel granted Pharaoh's assistance, putting 600 chariots manned with his own host at his disposal. So Samuel would be an archangel, and the hosts would be hosts of angels at the disposal of the side of the Egyptians. These formed the vanguard, and they were joined by all the Egyptians in a vast assemblage of chariots and warriors, and no less than 300 of their men to one of the children of Israel, each equipped with their different sorts of weapons, general custom. Well, here, we get some logistics. The general custom was for two charioteers to take turns at driving a car, but to overtake the Israelites uh, more surely and speedily, Pharaoh ordered that three be assigned to each, and the result was that they covered in one day the ground in which it had taken the Israelites three to traverse. The mind of the Egyptian was in no wise directed towards spoil and plunder in this expedition. Their sole determined purpose was to exterminate Israel, kith and kin. As the heathen lay the great stress upon omens when they were about to start out their campaign, God caused all their preparations to proceed smoothly. Without the slightest untoward circumstance, everything pointed to a happy issue. Pharaoh himself, adept in the magic, had a uh, pre-sentiment uh, that dire misfortune would befall the children of Israel in the wilderness, and they would lose Moses there. And their whole generation that had departed from Egypt would find its grave, and therefore he spoke to Dathan and Abraham, who remained behind in Egypt, saying, Moses is leading them, but he himself knows not whither. Verily the congregation of Israel will lift up their voice in the wilderness and cry, and they there they will be destroyed. He thought naturally that these visions had reference to an imminent future, to the time of his meeting with his own dismissed slaves, but his error was profound, and he was he was hurrying towards his own destruction. When he reached the sanctuary of Baal Zephon, Pharaoh, in his joy, finding him spared while all of their idols in Egypt had been annihilated, lost no time, but hastened to offer sacrifices to him. And he was comforted, for, he said, Baal Zephon approves my purpose of drowning the children of Israel in the sea. When the Israelites beheld the huge detachment of Egyptian army um, moving upon them, they considered that in Migdol there were troops stationed besides more indeed in their own numbers, men, women, and children, and uh, all told great terror overwhelmed them. What frightened them the most was the sight of the angel of Egypt darting through the air as he flew to the assistance of his people under his tutelage. They turned to Moses and said, What hast thou done to us? Now they will requite us for all that hath happened to their firstborn were smitten, and we ran off with their money, <laughs> which was thy fault. Now didst bid uh, to borrow gold and silver from our Egyptian neighbors and departed with their property. The situation of the Israelites was desperate. Before them, the sea. Behind them, the Egyptians. On both sides, the wild beasts of the desert. A wicked among them spoke to Moses, saying, Why will, while we were in Egypt, we said to thee and to Aaron, the Lord took upon you to judge, because ye had made our Savior to be abhorred in the, eye, the eyes of Pharaoh, and in the eyes of of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. Then there died many of our brethren during the days of darkness, which was worse than the bondage in which Egyptians kept us. Nevertheless, our fate in the desert will be sadder than theirs. At least, they at least were mourned in their bodies, they were buried, and our corpses will lie exposed consumed in the day by drought and frost by night. But Moses, in his wisdom, knew how to pacify the thousands and myriads under his leadership. And he impressed them with these words. He said, 
<clears throat> Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. And when will his salvation come, questioned the people. And he told them that it would appear the following day. But they protested, we cannot wait until tomorrow. Then Moses prayed to God, and God showed him the, the angel host standing ready to hasten to the assistance of the people. They were not agreed as to what they were to do. There were four contending parties. The opinion of the first part was that they seek death by drowning in the sea. The second, that they return to Egypt. And the third was in favor of a pitched battle with the enemy. And the fourth thought it would be a good uh, plan to intimidate the Egyptians by noise and a great hubbub. <laughs> to the first, Moses said, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. And to the second he said, The Egyptians whom ye have seen today shall see them no more forever. And to the third he said, The Lord shall fight for you. And to the fourth he said, Ye shall hold your peace. And what then shall we do? They asked their leader. And Moses answered to them saying, Ye shall bless, praise, extol, and adore, and glorify him that is the Lord of war. Instead of the sword, the five sorts of arms which they bore, had, uh, they made use of their mouth. And it was of a great avail all uh, than all possible weapons of war. The Lord hearkened unto the prayer for which he had but, he had but been waiting. So here we go, the Lord of war. Um, so we've seen God as the a sky God, and we've seen God as the creator God, and we've seen God as a mountain God. Uh, we've seen God kind of hint around uh, uh, the God of time. We're going to see a little bit of that. It's I love it. And then um, here, he's the God of war. This is something I touched upon in... Um, one of my graphic novels, the Dijin Jihad. There's a Kabbalistic rabbi that creates this uh, golem that um, he gets he gets all slick with enemy blood. <laughs> He's like, it's a monument to the god of the Hebrews, the god of war. Uh, uh, this is a little bit of an aside there. Moses also addressed himself to God saying, Oh, Lord of the world. I am like a shepherd who have undertaken a pasture flock has been heedless enough to drive his sheep to the edge of the precipice and then uh, is in a despair how to get them down again. And Pharaoh is behind my flock, Israel, into the south is Baal Zephon, into the north Midgol, and before us the sea lies spread out, thou knowest, O Lord." And it is beyond human strength and human contrivance to surmount the difficulties standing in our way. And thine alone is the work of procuring deliverance for this army which left Egypt at thy, thy appointment. We despair of all other assistance or device, and we have recourse only in our hope in thee. If there be any escape possible, we look to thy providence to accomplish it for us. With such words, Moses continued to make fervent supplications to God to succor Israel in their need. But God cut short his prayer, saying, Moses, my children are in distress. The sea blocks the way before them. The enemy is in hot pursuit after them. And thou standest here and prayest. Sometimes long prayer is good, but sometimes it is better to be brief. <laughs> If I gather the waters together in one place and let the dry land appear for Adam, a single human being, should I not do the same for this holy congregation? I will save them, if only for the sake of the merits of Abraham, who stood ready to sacrifice his son Isaac unto me, and for the sake of my promise to Jacob. The sun and the moon are my witness that I will cleave the sea for the seed of the children of Israel who deserve my help for going after me in the wilderness unquestioningly. Do thou but see to it that they abandon their evil thought of returning to Egypt. And then it will not be necessary to turn to me and entreat my help. 
So <clears throat> there's a couple things. One is Moses likening himself to a shepherd. So we know that when Moses went to Midian, he became he was a shepherd. He spent many years being being a shepherd, which in in the for the case of the mythology for the the story, it links him to Abel. And if you guys have been listening to the show for a long time, or if you hit up the the Genesis episodes, you know that I've become obsessed with this idea of like the wrong son and the wrong blessing. Um, uh, so this is interesting. And I think it goes back to, you know, Cain and Abel. Abel was a shepherd and Cain um, was a, a gardener. <clears throat> he worked the, the land to um, uh, make uh plants that he could harvest and ultimately it was his sacrifice that god didn't like which caused the whole hullabaloo right so i thought that it was like very interesting that noah here is like identifying himself as a shepherd of these of these people we'll see this motif over and over and over and over again uh another thing that i want to mention is just a retouch on this idea that <clears throat> God thinks the most dangerous thing that's going on here is the the willingness of the people to stop rebelling and to return to this to the system, if not safety to like the system they're familiar with. You know, like, hey, instead of drowning in the river, or instead of facing down balls of fun, or instead of fighting the soldiers in Midgal, uh, instead of turning around and fighting the pursuing soldiers from from egypt let's just surrender let's just become slaves again and go and go back to egypt and god damn it if that isn't a poignant uh fucking message right now God's like, don't worry about Balzaphon and don't worry about Midgol and don't worry about the Egyptian soldiers. You just need to make sure that your people don't fucking pussy out on me. <laughs> Moses, however, was still very much a troubled mind on the account of Samuel, who had not left off lodging accusations before God against Israel since from uh, the exodus from Egypt. So here, Samuel, instead of being one of these angels that are protecting or guarding uh, Egypt or should I say instead of instead of specifically or exclusively you know giving angelic hosts to the Egyptians or whatever he's also petitioning God so um, the there is a tradition that uh, of the adversary this is where one of the this is an aspect one of the aspects where the idea of the devil or Satan comes from is this um, is this adversary. He's like a lawyer. So whenever God does something shady or, you know, where people don't understand, he's like the de like devil's advocate, sort of. And so Samuel here is lodging all these accusations before God and um, against Israel since the exodus from Egypt. And he's got this legal, him and this other angel have like this legal kind of defense which is interesting the lord adopted the same procedure in dealing with the accuser uh as the experienced shepherd who at the moment of transferring his sheep across the stream was faced with a ravaging wolf the shepherd threw a strong ram at the wolf and while the two engaged in combat the rest of the flock was carried across the water and then the shepherd returned to snatch the wolf's supposed prey from him. And Samuel said to the Lord, uh, Up until this time of Israel were idol worshippers, and now thou protestest so great a thing as dividing the sea for them? And what did the Lord do? He, he surrendered Job to Samuel, saying, While he busies himself with Job, Israel will pass through the sea unscathed. And as soon as they are safe, uh, I will rescue Job from the hands of Samuel. So this is God being the God of time, right? He reached back many generations and he grabbed Job, um, who, you know, wrestle, wrestles angels. Um, you go back to 
um, the Genesis episodes and find the Job thing. And in that story, we specifically address the different angels um, watching over the different countries and how, how and why Job did whatever happened to Job, what happened to him is we kind of, he kind of got promoted <laughs> and he became this archangel Metatron. I'm sorry, scratch that. He became, he got renamed Israel, meaning he who struggles with God and, you know, survives. Um, so these different angels are watching over the different countries and Job sort of becomes part of that um, thing. That's why the Israelites are called is Israelites. Sorry about that uh, confusion. So God bends time or he snatches Job from from time from the uh the ford of the river jebek and uh he, so samuel has to contend with job who we know can f fucking fist fight angels and uh back to the back to the book <clears throat> israel had another angel adversaries besides Uzzah, the tutelary angel of the Egyptians, appeared before God and said, O Lord of the world, I have a suit with this nation which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt. If it seemeth well to thee, let their angel Michael appear and contend with me before thee. And the Lord summoned Michael and Uzzah stated that there's uh, his charges against Israel. And he says, O Lord of the world, thou didst decree concerning this people of Israel that his hall shall be held in bondage by my people, the Egyptians, for a period of 400 years. They had dominated them for only 86 years. Therefore, the time of their going forth hath not yet arrived. If it be thy will, give me permission to take them back to Egypt, that they may continue in slavery for 314 years that are left, and thy word be fulfilled, as thou art immutable. So let thy decree be immutable. And Michael was silent, for he knew not how to convert, uh, controvert these words. And it seemed as if Uzzah had won his suit, but the Lord himself espoused the cause of Israel. And he said to Uzzah, the duty of serving thy nation was laid upon my children only on the account of an unseemly word uttered by Abraham. When he spoke to him, saying, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he made answer, Whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Therefore did I say to him, Thy seed shall be a stranger, but it is well known and manifest before me. That they are strangers from the days of Isaac's birth and reckoning thence. The period of 400 years has elapsed, and thou hast no right to keep my children in bondage any longer. So here we see God of time. Again, this time it's like forensic time. <laughs> he changed the terms. Uh, uh, he changed the terms of the, in, of the enslavement. And then he goes, you know, classic Darth Vader fashion. Pray, I do not alter it further. So let's get down to it. This is what we're here to talk about. Here's the main event. The sea divided. God spake to Moses saying, Why dost thou stay there praying? My children's prayers have anticipated uh, thine for thee. There is naught to do but to lift up the rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it. Moses replied, Thou commandest me to divide the sea and lay bare dry ground in the midst of it and yet thou didst thyself make it a perpetual decree that the sand shall be placed for the bound of the sea and again god spake to moses thou hast not read the beginning of the torah here again the master of time moses hasn't written the torah yet God hasn't transmitted the Torah to him yet. I, yea, I did speak. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. 
And at that time I made the condition that the waters shall divide before Israel. Take the rod I gave unto thee, and go to the sea upon mine errand, and speak thus. I am the messenger sent by the creator of the world. Uncover thy paths, O sea, for my children, that they may go through the midst of these on dry ground. And Moses spoke to the sea as God bid him, but it replied, I will not do according to thy words, for thou art only a man born of a woman, and besides, I am three days older than thou, O man, for I was brought forth on the third day of creation, and you on the sixth. Moses lost no time, but carried back to God the words of the sea. And the Lord said to Moses, What does a master do to an intractable servant? He beats him with a rod, said Moses. Do thus ordered God, lift up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it. Thereupon Moses raised up his rod, the rod that had been created at the very beginning of the world on which were graven the plain letters of the great exalted name, the names of the ten plagues inflicted upon the Egyptians, and the names of the three fathers and six mothers and the twelve tribes of Jacob. The rod he lifted up and stretched it out over the sea. The sea, however, continued in its pervasiveness, and Moses entreated God to give his command directly to it, but God refused, saying, Were I to command the sea to divide, it would never again return to its former state. Therefore, do thou convey my order to it, that it, uh, it not be drained dry forever, but I will let assemblage of my strength accompany thee, and that will compel its obedience. And when the sea saw the strength of God at the right hand of Moses, it spoke to the earth, saying, Make hollow places for me, that I may hide myself therein before the Lord of all created things. Blessed be he, noticing the terror of the sea, and Moses said to it, For a whole day I spoke at thee at the bidding of the Holy One, who desired thee to divide but thou didst refuse to pay heed to my words. Even when I showed thee thy rod, did thou remain obdurate? What hath happened now that you skippest hence? And the sea replied, I am fleeing not before thee, but before the Lord of all created things, and his name be magnified in all of the earth, and the waters of the Red Sea divided. And not they alone, but all the waters in heaven and on earth, in whatever vessel it was in, in cisterns, in wells, in caves, in casks, in pitchers, in drinking cups, and in glasses. And none of these waters returned to their former state until Israel had passed through the sea on dry land. The, the angel Gabriel was eager to drown the Egyptians during the same night, but God bade him to wait until early the next day, until the hours of the morning watch when Abraham had made himself ready and set out for the sacrifice of his son. Gabriel succeeded, however, in holding back the turbulent waters to sweep over Israel. To the wall of water to the right he called, Beware of Israel, who will receive the law in time to come from the right hand of the Lord. And by turning to the wall of the water on the left, he said, Beware to Israel who will wind the phylacteries uh, about their left hand in the time to come. And the water behind him he admonished, Beware of Israel who will let the, who will let the zit zit drop down upon the back in the time to come into the water towering in front of them. He called beware of Israel who bring the sign of the covenant upon their bodies. An empire built on loose dick skin. God caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. And the wind he always makes use of when he chastises the nation. The same east wind had brought the deluge. The same uh, had laid the tower of Babel in ruins. And it was uh, to cause the destruction of Samaria and Jerusalem and Tyre. And it will be in the future the instrument for castigating Rome drunken with pleasure. 
Likewise, the sinners in Gehenna were punished by means of the east wind. All night long, God made it to blow over the sea to prevent the enemy from inflicting harm upon the Israelites. And he enveloped the Egyptians in a profound darkness so impenetrable that it could be felt. So this is a thing. This is one of the plagues. He did this with one of the plagues, too. And I have a real hard time wrapping my head around it. It's like darkness but it's like a physical substance it like creeps over and it's so dense that it creates like pockets around these people and they can't move or change positions here we'll talk about it it enveloped the egyptians in profound darkness so impenetrable it could be felt and no one could move or change posture and that sat uh and he that sat when it fell could not arise from his place and that he that stood could not sit down. Nevertheless, the Egyptians could see that the Israelites were surrounded by a bright light and they were enjoying a banquet where they stood. And when they tried to speed darts and arrows against them, the missiles were caught up by the cloud and by the angels hovering between the two camps and no harm came to Israel. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On the morning after the eventful night through uh, the sea was not yet made dry land, the Israelites, full of trust in God, were ready to cast themselves into the waters, and the tribes contended with one another for the honor of being the first to jump. Without awaiting the outcome of the wordy strife, the tribe of Benjamin sprang in, and the princes of Judah were so incensed at having been deprived the preeminence in danger that they pelted the Benjamites with stones and God knew that the Judeans and the Benjamites were animated by a praiseworthy purpose. The ones like the others des desired to magnify the name of God. And he rewarded both tribes and Benjamin's allotment. The Shekinah took up her residence and in the royalty of Israel was conferred upon Judah. And when God saw the two tribes and the waves of the sea, he called upon Moses and said, My beloved are in danger of drowning, and thou standest by and prayest. Bid Israel to go forward, and uh, thou lift up thy rod over the sea and divide it. And thus it happened, and Israel passed through the sea with the water cleft in twain. Dividing the sea was just but the first of ten miracles connected with the passage of the Israelites through it. The others were that waters united in a vault above their heads and twelve paths opened up, one for each tribe. The water became transparent as glass and each tribe could see the others. The soil underfoot was dry, but it changed to clay when the Egyptians stepped on it. The walls of water transformed into rocks against which the Egyptians were thrown and dashed to death while before the Israelites could slake their thirst. And finally, the tenth wonder was that the drinking water was congealed in the hearts of the sea as soon as they had satisfied their need. So this idea about the dry land turning into clay, um, it makes me think of World War Zero. Uh, right after the Tower of Babel, um, there was a war. The plains of Shinar 
the war of the nine kings and in that war they would they had something that would create these tar pits and um they used them in they used them in battle and these guys would get giants whatever however you know. <laughs> uh, i i wrote about it in my book the ages it's a comic book uh graphic novel but i wrote about it in my book the ages world war zero and you go back and listen to world war uh, zero episodes but yeah there's something there and then that just made me think of it this wetland that turned into dry land again becomes clay when the egyptians get on it And there were other miracles besides the sea yielded the Israelites whatever their hearts desired. If a children cried as it laid in the arms of his mother, she needed but to stretch out her hand and pluck out an apple or some fruits to quiet it. The waters were piled up to the height of the 1600 miles and it could be seen by all nations of the earth. The great wonder of Israel's passing through the sea took place in the presence of the three fathers and the six mothers who God had fetched out of their graves to the shores of the Red Sea to be witness of their marvelous deeds wrought on behalf of their children. Wonderful as were the miracles connected with the rescue of the Israelites from the waters of the sea, those performed when the Egyptians were drowned were no less remarkable. First of all, God felt called upon to defend the Israelites before Uzzah, the angel of the Egyptians, who would not allow his people to perish in the waters of the sea. And he appeared on the spot at the very moment when God wanted to drown the Egyptians. And he spake and he said, O Lord of the world, thou art called just and upright, and before thee there is no wrong, no forgetting no respecting of persons when then thou doust thou desire to make my children perish in the sea canst thou say that my children drown in a slew in a single one of thine but it be on the account of rigorous slavery that my children imposed upon israel that can uh, consider that thine children have received their wages and that they took the silver and the gold vessels from them and god convoked all the members of his celestial family and he spake to the an the angel hosts judge ye in truth between me and yonder Uzzah, the angel of Egypt of the egyptians at the first i brought famine upon his people and appointed my friend joseph over them who saved them through his sagacity and then they all became slaves then my children went down into their lands as strangers in consequence of the famine made children of israel to serve with rigor in all manner of hard work there is in the world and they groaned on the account of their bitter service and they cry rose up to me and i sent moses and aaron my faithful messengers to pharaoh when it came before the king of egypt they spake to him Thus said the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. They may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. In the presence of the king of the east and of the west and the sinner began to boast, saying, Who is this Lord that I should hearken unto his voice and let Israel go? Why comes he not before me like all the kings of the world? And why doth he not uh, bring me a present like the others and the God of whom you speak? I know him not at all. Wait and let me search my lists and see whether I can find his name. But the servant said, We have heard that he is the son of the wise, the son of ancient kings. Then Pharaoh asked my messengers, What are the works of this God? And they replied, He is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, who created the heaven and the earth. But Pharaoh doubted their words, and he said, There is no God in all the world that can accomplish such works besides me. For I made myself, I made the Nile River, because he denied me thus. I sent ten plagues upon him, and he was compelled to let my children go. Yet in spite of all this, he did not leave off from his wicked ways, and he tried to bring them back under his bondage. Now seeing all that hath happened to him, that he will not acknowledge me as God and Lord. Does he not deserve to be drowned in the sea with his host? 
And the celestial family called when the Lord had ended his defense. And he said, thou hast every right to drown him in the sea. And Uzzah heard the verdict and he said, O Lord of all the worlds, I know that my people deserve this punishment. Thou hast decreed, but may it please thee to deal with them according to thy attribute of mercy and take pity on the work of thine hands and thine tender mercies are over all thy works. Almost the Lord had yielded to Uzzah's entreaties when Michael gave a sign to Gabriel that made him uh, that made him fly to Egypt swiftly and fetch thence a brick from which the Hebrew child had been used as a mortar. And holding this incriminating object in his hand, Gabriel stepped into the presence of God. And he said, O Lord of the wor world, wilt thou have compassion with the accursed nation that has slaughtered thy children so cruelly? The Lord turned himself away from his attribute of mercy and seating himself on his throne of justice he resolved to drown the egyptians in the sea so here again we see this idea of humans being used as building equipment <laughs> it reminds me of you know human infrastructure everybody watch out for human infrastructure we see this uh, in the story of the tower of babel uh, people being made into bricks and here we see the um, people being made into mortar for the um, the public works <laughs> construction projects of, of Pharaoh and that's that's the thing that tips um, that tips God's uh, decision here in this uh, this courtroom drama that we see. sort of in our fourth world or Jack Kirby's fourth world analogy back to it the first upon whom judgment was executed was the angel of Egypt Uzzah who was thrown into the sea the similar faith overtook Rahab the angel of the sea with its hosts Rahab made intercessions before God on behalf of the Egyptians and he said why shouldest thou drown the Egyptians let it suffice the Israelites that thou hast saved them out of the hands of their masters. At that, God dealt Rahab and his army a blow under which they staggered and fell dead. And then he cast their corpses into the sea, whence its unpleasant odor. At the moment when the last of the Israelites stepped out of the bed of the sea, the first of the Egyptians stepped foot into it. But at the same instant, the waters surged back into their wanted place, and all the Egyptians perished. But drowning was not the only punishment decreed upon them by God. He undertook a thoroughgoing campaign against them. When Pharaoh was preparing to persecute the Israelites, he asked his army which of the saddle beasts was the swiftest runner, that one he would use. And they said, there is none swifter than thy piebald mare, whose like is to be found nowhere in the world. Accordingly, Pharaoh mounted this mare and pursued after the Israelites seaward. And while Pharaoh was inquiring of his army as to the swiftest animal, uh, to mount god was questioning the angels as to the swiftest creature to use in the determinant of pharaoh and the angels answered O lord of the world all things are thine and all are thine handiwork thou knowest well and it is manifest before thee that among all creatures there is none so quick as the wind that comes from under the throne of thy glory and the lord flew swiftly upon the wings of the wind the angels now advanced to support the Lord in his war against the Egyptians. Some brought swords, some arrows, some spears, but God warded them off, saying, Away, I need no help. The arrows sped by Pharaoh against the children of Israel, who were answered by the Lord with fiery darts directed against the Egyptians. Pharaoh's army advanced with gleaming swords, and the Lord sent out lightnings that discomfited the comforted the egyptians pharaoh hurled missiles and the lord discharged hailstones and coals of fire against him with trumpets sackbuts and the horns of the egyptians made their assault 
And the Lord thundered in the heavens. And that most high uh, uttered his voice in vain. The Egyptians marched forwards in orderly battle array. And the Lord deprived them of their standards. He took their flags away. And then and they were thrown into wild confusion to lure them into the water. The Lord call, caused fiery steeds to swim out upon the sea. And the horses of the Egyptians followed them, each with a rider upon its back. Now the Egyptians tried to flee to their land and their chariots drawn by the she-mules and they had treated the children of Israel in a way contrary to nature. So the Lord treated them now. Not the she-mules pulled the chariots, but the chariots through the fire from heavens consumed their wheels and dragged the men and the beast into the water and the chariots were laden with silver and gold and all sorts of costly things which the river Pishon, as it now flows forth from paradise, carries down to Gihon, since uh, thence the treasure floated into the Red Sea, and by its waters they were tossed into the chariots of the Egyptians. It was the wish of Israel, for, and for this reason he caused the chariots to roll into the sea, in the sea and to turn and cast them out upon the opposite shore at the feet of the Israelites. And the Lord fought against the Egyptians, also with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. The former made the soil miry, and the mire was heated to the boiling point by the, by the latter, so that the hooves of the horses dropped from their feet, and they couldn't budge from the spot. And the anguish and the torture that God brought upon the Egyptians at the Red Sea caused them by far more excruciating pain than the plagues that they had endured in Egypt and at the sea he delivered them to the hands of the angels of destruction who tormented them pitlessly. Had God not endowed the Egyptians with a double portion of strength, they could not have stood of the pain a single moment. And the last judgment executed upon the Egyptians corresponded with the wicked designs harbored against Israel by the, the three different parties among them when they set out in the pursuit of their liberated slaves. The first party had said, we will bring Israel back to Egypt. And the second had said, we will strip them bare. And the third said, we will slay them all. The Lord blew upon the first with his breath and the sea covered them. The second party he shook into the sea, and the third he pitched into the depths of the abyss and tossed them about as lentils are shaken up and down in a saucepan. The upper ones are made to fall to the bottom, and the, the lower are to fly to the top. This was the experience of the Egyptians, and worse still, first the rider and his beast were whisked high into the air, and then the two together, the rider sitting upon the back of the beast, were hurled to the bottom of the sea. The Egyptians endeavored to save themselves from the sea by conjuring charms, for they were great magicians. The ten measures of magic allotted to the world, they had taken nine for themselves, and indeed, they had succeeded for a moment. They escaped out of the sea, but immediately the sea said to itself, How can I allow the pledge entrusted to me by God to be taken from me? And the water rushed after the Egyptians and dragged back every man of them. Among the Egyptians were two arch-magicians, we know them well, Janes and Jambres, and they made wings for themselves, which you can see in the Dijin Jihad. <laughs> also, they just, they're in the ages too. Um, they made wings for themselves in which they flew up to heaven. But also said to Pharaoh, if God himself hath done this thing, we can effect it not. But if this work had been put into the hands of his angels, then we shall shake his lieutenants into the sea. And they proceeded at once to use their magic contrivances, whereupon they dragged the angels down, and they cried up to God, Save us, O God, for the waters were come into our souls, and speak the word that, by, uh, that will cause the magicians to drown in the mighty waters. And Gabriel cried up to God, By the greatness of thy glory, dash the adversaries to pieces uh, upon here. Uh, Michael, go and execute judgment. Upon the two magicians and the archangel seized hold of Yanez and Yambres by the locks of their hair, and he shattered them against the surface of the water. Thus all the Egyptians were drowned. 
Only one was spared, Pharaoh himself, when the children of Israel raised their voices to sing the songs of praise to the shores of the Red Sea. Pharaoh heard that it was... Uh, Pharaoh heard it as he was jostled hither and thither by the blows, and he pointed his finger heavenward, and he called out, I believe in thee, O God, thou art righteous, and I and my people are wicked, and I acknowledge now that there is no God in this world besides thee. Without a moment's delay, Gabriel ascended and laid an iron chain about Pharaoh's neck, and holding him securely and addressed him thus villain yesterday you yesterday thou didst say who is this lord i shall hearken to his voice and now you say if the lord is righteous with that he let him drop into the depths of the sea and there he tortured him for 50 days to make the power of god known to him at the end of the time he installed him as a king of a great city of Nineveh. And after the lapse of many centuries, when Jonah came to Nineveh and prophesied the overthrow of the city on account of the evil done by the people, it was Pharaoh who seized by fear and terror, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And with his own mouth he proclaimed, then he published the decree through Nineveh, let neither man nor beast herd nor flock taste anything, and let them not feed nor drink water. For I know there is no God besides him in all the world, and all his words are truth, and all his judgments are true and faithful. And Pharaoh never died, and he never will die. He always stands at the portal of hell. And when the kings of the nations enter, he makes the power of God known to them at once. And in these words, O oh, ye fools, why have you not learnt knowledge from me? I have denied the Lord God, and he brought ten plagues upon me and sent me to the bottom of the sea, and he kept me there for fifty days. He released me then and brought me up, and I could not I could not but believe in him. God caused the Egyptians to be washed ashore in their death struggles. There were four reasons for this. The Israelites were not to say that they themselves had escaped. So also the Egyptians had passed through the sea dry-shod. Only the latter had gone in another direction and therefore had vanished from sight. The Egyptians, on the other hand, were not to think that the children of Israel had been drowned in the sea like themselves. And in the third place, the Israelites were to have as their booty the silver, gold, and other precious things which the Egyptians were decked. And finally, the Israelites were to enjoy the satisfaction of seeing their enemies suffer. With their finger, they could point to them out one by one, saying, This one was my taskmaster who beat me with those fists and, at, uh, and the fists of his at which the dogs are now gnawing uh, on yonder Egyptian. The dogs are chewing the feet with which he kicked me. As they lay on the shore, their agony, they had uh, to witness their own destruction at the victory of the Israelites. They also beheld the suffering of their brethren that had remained beyond in Egypt, for God poured out his punishment over the whole people, whether in Egypt or the Red Sea. As for the corpses of the shores of the sea, they did not remain unburied, the earth swallowed them by way of reward for Pharaoh having acknowledged the justice of chastisement. They had been afflicted upon king and people before their corpses had been disposed of in this way. There had been a quarrel between the earth and the sea. And the sea said, Take my children unto thyselves, and the earth retorted, Keep those whom thou hast slain. The sea hesitated to do as the earth bade, for fear that God would demand them back on the day of judgment, and the earth hesitated because it remembered the terror with the curse had been pronounced upon, having sucked up Abel's blood. Only after God swore an oath not to punish it for receiving the corpses of the Egyptians would the earth swallow them.
Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoyed the show. Please send an email or find us on social media and let us know what you think about the show. We would appreciate it if you would give us a five-star rate and review wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You can find Stigmata Studios, graphic, novels, and comic books. Take control of your destiny. Understand your past. Put your present in context and know your future with a twist. Check out the Abracast Tarot Card Deck. Your body is your temple. So let's make sure you got a badass t-shirt on it. Variety of cool occult theme t-shirts and other merch like stickers, wall art, mugs and more. Welcome to the Red Archive. Get access to over 50 hours of archived episodes. More bonus audio, additional exclusive content. All this for only one dollar a month. Are you interested in the occult, history, conspiracy, and violence? Learn more at abracast.com.